Thanks, Tim. You guys can have a seat. My name is John Elmore. I serve as the men's director of recovery here at Watermark for a ministry called Regeneration, a 12-month discipleship program on Monday night, 6.30. It's in Plano and Fort Worth as well. So you guys are welcome to join us there. Uh, before I was walking with the Lord, I lived down in Austin, and uh, an old fraternity brother who is also a former Navy SEAL called me one day and said, hey, let's, let's go out on the lake, get on Lake Travis, borrow this guy's boat, grab the girls, and go out. And so we get out on the water, and there's, there's no better place to be, or no safer place to be, rather, than on the water with a Navy SEAL, like you're in good hands. And so we're going along, and this, this motorboat, I think it was a wakeboarding boat, is just like, you know, throttled down, I'm in the front, he's driving, and it's just hitting the waves, and we're just blazing through Lake Travis. And all of a sudden I realized, like, we're not popping the waves anymore. Now it's just like, I can hear the engine straining, and yet we're not going very fast. And he's looking around at the dials and the throttle and everything else, and all of a sudden he just cuts the engine and dives over. I'm like, that's cool. Nobody panic. He's got this. And he pops back up and realizes, he's like, hand me the drain plug. The drain plug was out. And so we were taking in water, a lot of water, in the middle of Lake Travis in a boat that wasn't our own, but it's okay. He's a seal. So he goes back in, gets underwater, puts it back in the drain plug, throttles down again. And he's like, don't worry, the bilge pump is now going to kick out all the water. And I'm just like, totally at ease because I'm with him. And about a minute later, uh, this wakeboarding boat now looks like a bass fishing boat and the, the water level and the boat are like inches. I mean, we are down in the water. The cockpit of the boat is down in the water. Uh, the girls are starting to get a little confused and I'm like, don't worry, he's a seal. And uh, now he's worried, which makes me worried. Uh, and he says, we've probably got one shot to make it to a dock. And so he looks and just turns the boat and makes a beeline for one open slip that we saw out there in Big Lake Travis. And we get to this slip, which has a hydraulic lift, because he's like, we've got to get this boat out of the water. Uh, and I'm thinking, like, well, if we don't make it, like, I'm, I'm, you know, you and I will be fine. You know, we'll, we'll make it. I don't know about the girls, but we'll be okay. We, and uh, we make it to the slip, but no one's there. And these things, you know, there requires a key and somebody to control it. So he starts yelling. I mean, it's up this hill there in Austin, yelling, begging, pleading for help. And sure enough, these two guys come running down, flip the switch, get the lift. This thing drains out and we make it and are actually able to return this guy's boat rather than sink it at the bottom of Travis. Now, the reason why I tell you that story is because what I did in that moment is what we see in the story here with the apostles and Jesus, but it's also what we see in our lives because we put our faith and our trust in the people around us, in their experience, in our experience, in the equipment that we have, in our know-how. And it's not until a moment of desperation that we start pleading and begging for help to rescue us from a situation. I think that we treat Jesus this way. I think we treat God this way. Like I treated this buddy seal of mine, like everything's going to be fine. And it wasn't until total desperation that we were pleading with someone to give us help. And it's what we see from the apostles as they hit this storm. It's what we see in our lives. We put our, put our confidence 
in ourselves, our experience, and our knowledge. And so today what we're going to see is that God is much more concerned with revealing himself to us and to others. And so today we're going to be reading through Mark 4.35 through 5.20. Thankfully, Tim Keller does not address this passage in his book, so I don't have to attempt to reteach what Keller has already taught you. So that's where we're going to be if you want to turn there. And what we're going to cover today, as a bit of a preview, three points. That God sends us through storms. He will intentionally and purposefully send you through storms to save one, to save one, to reach many. He will send you through a storm to save one, to reach many. That's what we're going to talk about today. So Mark four thirty-five through 41, we're going to read this now together. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side and leaving the crowd, they took him with him in the boat just as he was and other boats were with him. And great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea and said, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? Storms are helpful to us in three ways, many many more ways, but three ways that we're going to talk about today. Storms are helpful to us in revealing three things, and you'll see them up there on the slide deck, our self-sufficiency. You see, these apostles, as you read this story, they didn't cry out to Jesus until the boat was already swamped. They weren't telling Jesus, hey, Jesus, there's winds coming down off the hills of Galilee. Jesus, there's some dark clouds approaching. Jesus, it's starting to rain. Jesus, we're taking on water. Instead, they don't cry out to him until the boat was almost swamped. And again, this is how we treat the Lord often. And I say that out of self-confession, but I, I think I'm not the only one in the room probably that struggles with this, is we treat Jesus in case of emergency I'll reach out to you, rather than all along the way, abiding with him, letting him intercede for us, guide us in the moment by moment, not just reaching out to him when something hits the fan. They relied on their own strength, skill. See, just like my seal buddy, these guys spent all day, every day on the Sea of Galilee. They were professional fishermen. It's what they did. They were used to storms. And I think that's what contributed towards them not calling out to Jesus until it got really, really bad, and they realized something's got to give. But the Lord wants for us to realize we have no self-sufficiency, that that is a mirage, that all day, every day, he is sustaining us. He's the one giving us wisdom. He's the one that's given us that experience. He's the one that's given us favor with others, So that no matter what the situation is, we realize this is nothing of our doing. It's only by Christ. And that we would reach out to him in the day by day and be Christ-sufficient, not self-sufficient. The other thing that storms reveal, and as I talk about storms, I'm not talking about thunderstorms. I'm talking about loss, tragedy, trials, afflictions, persecution, suffering, sin struggles. Those are the storms of life. 
they also reveal our practical theology. There's a phrase, show me a man's deeds and I will tell you his beliefs. Show me his deeds and I'll tell you what he believes. See, it's not his spoken or said theology, like he could pass a test about the sovereignty of God or the Trinity or the deity of Christ, but rather, what is it I see in your life by your behavior or by what you do? And that is your practical theology. It's what you do in the moment when the storm arises that I can tell you what you truly believe by the test of life, not a test on a paper. Our practical theology. See, if Jesus said to the apostles, let us go to the other side, if they understood this is the Son of God, he is the Savior and Messiah of Israel, if he says let us go to the other side, we're going to the other side. Boat swamped or not. But instead they began to fret and worry and fear, and they call him teacher, not Lord and Savior. And so it reveals that sovereignty of God issue that they didn't believe in the sovereignty of God as they said, let us go to the other side. Jesus, on the other other hand, his practical theology was I can't die until the appointed time at the cross and God will raise me three days later. I'm not dying in the Sea of Galilee. That's not what's prophesied about me from the prophets of old all the way back to Moses, all the way back to Genesis 3. I'm not dying in this boat so I can sleep after my long day of ministry and work, I'm not going anywhere. This storm is not the end because Jesus knew and believed the sovereignty of the Father in contrast to the disciples. It reveals your practical theology. So the question that I would ask here for your time in groups is what storm do you need to sleep through? I used to fret. I mean, I had such terrible anxiety when I used to work for an ad agency and then again in sales because I thought it was all up to me. And I couldn't go to sleep because I was thinking about the next morning, the first call I needed to make, how I needed a CYA on this deal or lie my way out of it to make sure that my client didn't find out what was actually going on. Like it was just this reel that was going through my head. I had to drink myself to sleep because I had no way to sleep through that storm. I couldn't, so I had to knock myself out. But with Jesus trusting in the Lord's sovereignty, you sleep through the storm. You put in a good hard day's work and you trust. And I, I, I can't make anything happen. God is the one who makes everything happen. And so like the psalm says, is we don't work ourselves with anxious toil, rising early, going to bed late, but instead we trust that Jesus, the God, gives to his beloved even while we sleep. He's the one that gives us the ability. And you have to ask too, who is Jesus to you? They said, Teacher, save us. Don't you care that we're perishing? Teacher, not Lord, not Savior, teacher. And that's often the way we see Jesus as we'll read through this, like just, you know, I'll spend time with you. I want some knowledge from you. But we think we're our own Savior. We, don't, we trust him maybe for our eternal salvation, but I've got to bootstrap this deal. I've got to get through it. Or you can be my savior, save me from my sin, but you're not Lord of my life. You're not master. You just be my teacher, be my Sunday school teacher. But bring you into business, bring you into my marriage? No, stay there, teacher. It's the most important question to ask in the Bible is Jesus when he says, who do you say that I am? And that's the most important question that you'll ever ask someone else. Who do you say Jesus is? Well, he's just a good, he's a good teacher. 
no, he's not a good, he's a lunatic if he's a good teacher. Because he said, I and the Father are one. But you ask people, who do you say that Jesus is? The other thing that storms reveal is our, mor- mor- our mortality. Storms are good because they clarify our perspective. The most clarifying time in my life is when a storm, self, uh, self-induced storm, by my alcoholism and sin, I had brought on the storm of life, and it was the most clarifying time in my entire life where that storm, like a hurricane that rips through Florida and just strips the land bare. I had been stripped bare by that storm and in that sobering moment realized, what am I living for? A storm, whether you bring it about or it happens to you, cancer, maybe you get left in your marriage, I don't know what it is, but it is a clarifying time for you to realize the eternal perspective of, okay, what am I living for? What's my purpose and who is Jesus to me? And it reveals the power and person of God Because finally we realize, man, I'm helpless. I'm helpless unless I beg for help from the Lord. So why else does God send us through storms? In 2010, I heard about these alcoholics uh, that were in Sudan post-Civil War. And so I was like, I felt like the Lord was calling me to go to Sudan to work with these alcoholics, specifically to start a 12-step program there among them in post-war torn Sudan. And so I go over there for a summer, and I literally am just walking through these dirt roads, stopping at the drinking places where they're brewing this just terrible moonshine. And I would, and I would say, hey, we're going to meet. What Jesus did for me, he'll do for you. We're going to meet under this mango tree. Come sit with us. Jesus will change your life. And they did. They came. Like 30 to 40 of the town drunks, the worst drunks of the drunks, came. And we had this little 12-step program for three months. I was like, this is incredible. There's going to be revival. Two months later, after I had left Sudan, not a single person was attending our little recovery group. They had relapsed. They had disbanded. And I thought, I'm a total failure. And did I hear God wrong? Was I not supposed to go over there? I raised money to go over there. Did I waste these people's money? I was embarrassed to share. People were like, so how's the, how's the recovery ministry going over in Sudan? You translated the steps. How's the group going? I was like, it's not. I don't know what happened. I don't, I don't know why. And then the country director of that missions organization told me, hey, you know what happened to three of those guys? Three of those drunks went to seminary there in Sudan. They're now pastoring churches. They're church planners. They go around every week sharing the gospel, and they're now planting churches all over Sudan. And in my pride, I thought it had failed. And God was like, no, you went for three, for many. And that's what we see in this next part of the passage, is that God sends us through storms to save one. And we don't do the saving, God does. When I say to save one, God is saving one. He does it through us. We're the messengers. And so Mark 5, 1 through 18, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one can bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. 
no one had the strength to subdue him. That's important. Night and day among the tombs on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? He didn't call him teacher. I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. This is crazy. So he gave them, Jesus gave them permission And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what had happened. And they they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. God sends us through storms to save one. The apostles went through this storm for that raving, naked, cutting himself, blood everywhere, raving, lunatic, demon-possessed man. They went through that storm, almost died for that one guy, and then they get on the boat to leave. I mean, you know they're thinking, Jesus, this was a miss. Because you just sent us through that storm, we all almost died, we came for one demon-possessed man in Gentile region, and then all these pigs die, and now we're leaving? That was a fail. Like, you've got limited time on this earth, and we just spent one of those days wasted on that, and now you don't even let the guy come with us? You've said to everybody else, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, and that guy, we actually set free, and you tell him to stay there, and these people are begging for us to leave? That seems like a huge ministry failure. There's a picture there on screen, you can't, maybe can't tell what it is, that's about 300 dead pigs I think we read the Bible sometimes and we read it as a, as a story, as an allegory, as like the, kind of this, you know, fable. In the Shanghai River in China, thousands of pigs were dumped and drowned in this river. And so you think about the picture that they would have seen, this demon-possessed man, 2,000 pigs, they're dead. That's only 300. Six or seven times that as they look over and see these dead, drowning pigs there in their land, the demon-possessed man, and they beg him to leave. You think uh, maybe that God wouldn't send us through storms to save someone so that he could save someone? Like, well, hey, this is a descriptive passage. It's not prescriptive. It doesn't say, thus God will send you through storms to save one, except for the fact that that is all through the New Testament. That is exactly what happened in Jesus' life, Paul's life. It happens again and again and again. He is sent into jail that the jailer would be saved. He is sent, he's shipwrecked on Malta so that the gospel could be shared on Malta of all places. 
It happens again and again and again that God sends us through storms in order to save one. Galatians 4.13 says, You know that it was out of a physical affliction that I first shared the gospel with you, Galatians. The Galatians heard the gospel for the very first time because of some physical affliction that Paul had where he had to stop over in Galatia and thus they received salvation. The other thing that I think is important is that they began to beg Jesus to leave. Leave our region. And Jesus did. He left. And in our country right now, that's verse 17. See if this doesn't sound familiar. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. I mean, we could say that for the United States. We have begged, not we church, but our nation has begged Jesus to leave our region, our nation, from our courtrooms, from the institution of marriage, from our schools, from our own homes and families. Maybe we have begged him to leave our marriages, our homes, but we have begged Jesus to leave. But that's not the end because Jesus has left us here to remain we remain in the country just like that Gerasene's demoniac remained in the country. And so two questions I would ask is, who is someone in deadly rebellion that you need to go to and speak the truth and love and tell them about the hope and salvation of Jesus, that he died for their sins and rose from the dead so that they don't have to live this life of death, but so they can have a new life. Who is that person, just like this Gerasene's demoniac, that you're willing to go to? Or when the storm of life hits you, when you are diagnosed, when you go into a meeting that you didn't want to have to have, when you're in conflict with someone, when you get pulled over by the police, whatever storm you face, and you think, well, I'm just in this mess of a storm, I just can't wait to be safe, God doesn't care about your safety. He cares about the salvation of others. And when you're in that storm, we've got to be mindful of who's around us because God has purpose in that storm. And so you think about, who do I need to share with here in this storm? My wife, uh, when she was pregnant, she gets kidney stones regularly. Uh, I don't, every time when she's pregnant. And so there we are, and she's in excruciating pain. They say that's the only pain comparable to giving birth. So it's like, Thanks, and thanks again with kidney stones and then childbirth. And she's in there, in this pain. They're drawing her blood, trying to figure out what's going on. And she's sharing her faith with the nurse, inviting her to the porch, inviting her to watermark. Laura's just faithful in that storm to share. Share in the storm. Because Jesus has left you in that region. And then lastly, Mark five nineteen through 20. This is one of the most incredible passages in scripture. Uh, Let me say one other thing. The pigs there, I said it was crazy. It it was always so strange to me that Jesus, the demons are like bargaining with Jesus. Hey, will you send us into the pigs? And he's like, yeah, okay, enter the pigs, which I'm like, why would he, why is he extending grace to the demons? Why is he giving demons what they want? That's confusing to me. The reason why is because he cared about the people on the other side of that sea. And he wanted them to see, hey, this isn't just a crazy man who lives in the tombs. You were surrounded by darkness. And they couldn't see that darkness and that demonic activity apart 
from those demons entering into the pigs, that was a grace to them to see the physical destruction that was actually among them. And so as you see the fallout in people's lives because of sin, that's a grace from God that he often allows. Why, God, why would you let this happen? Couldn't there be an easier way? And maybe in his grace, he's, he's showing us the sinfulness of our sin, the death of 2,000 pigs in our own lives so that we would turn. Mark 19 and 20. Jesus did not permit him to come with him to the other side of the lake, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. God sends us through storms to save the one to reach many. You see, we look at that at first, and the disciples would have thought at first, that was a total failure. We just went, this crazy man, and then Jesus doesn't even let him come with us to the other side, and they leave and go back. And they would have never known. They got back in the boat. They didn't know the rest of the story and what he had done. They didn't know verse 20. Somewhere along the way, one of the apostles, or all of them, ran into this demoniac, the man that was possessed, that had been set free, and they said, you're that guy. Whatever happened to you? He's like, oh, well, I went back to the Decapolis, and I, I told everyone what Jesus did for me. Yeah, and the people were amazed because they knew who I was, and yet they saw who I am. And they were amazed. And I told them about Jesus. We think often like, oh, I don't know if it did any good to share the gospel. I don't know if that, you know, it didn't seem like there were any results. You never know what God may be doing. They got across the lake and went back. They had no idea that the deliverance of a man, as one guy said, the deliverance of a man became the deliverance of a land. So you go and tell. God didn't save you to keep you safe. He saved you to send you. You were to go and share with others. That's why you were saved. You're now a messenger, an ambassador, a minister of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 5. And also, as you go and proclaim, this man, Jesus says, go and tell all that the Lord has done for you. He didn't do that. He told all that Jesus had done for him. Mark 13, 13 says, you will be hated because of my name. When you go Don't say, hey, let me tell you what God has done for me. I'm telling you, don't say what God has done for you. Because in this day and age, God can mean anything to a Hindu, to a Muslim, to an agnostic, higher power. God, the word God means many things to many people. You proclaim Jesus. That is the dividing line what someone thinks about Jesus. That is where salvation is found, Acts 4.12, by no other name will men be saved. You proclaim boldly Jesus. Just like this man did. The way that you do that, if you're like, "Ah, I don't know, it's always hard to to get into sharing the gospel and what do I do? Like in the beginning, God created man and we're meant to be in relationship with him and this and that. No, here's what you do. Because you know what happened here in this story? Those people begged Jesus to leave. They begged him and he left. Jesus did not reach the people of the land. Nature The wind and waves listened to Jesus. The demons listened to Jesus. The people did not. You know who the people listened to? 
They weren't willing to listen to Jesus, but they did listen to this demon-possessed man who was now in his right mind. The bulletproof apologetic that I've got there on the screen is you. It's your life. No one can argue with what you tell them that Jesus has done for your life. No one. It's a bulletproof apologetic. I tell people I was a reco- that I'm an alcoholic, that I used to be an alcoholic, but Jesus set me free, and they can't be like, no, that's not true. I'm like, no, it, it is. No one's ever said to me, that's impossible, that's not true. My grandfather-in-law, who is uh, agnostic at best, I'll go through all these, like, apologetics of, the, of the, the veracity of the Bible and, you know, here's the church and all these doctrines. And, and he just like kind of has various ways to shoot him down or say, well, that's not what I believe. You know what he can't ever deny is, duh, Jesus saved me. I've told you who I was before. He saved me. So you tell people your story of ow, how, and now. Al, what was your pain like before? How, how did Jesus save you? Now, what is your life like now? That's it. You don't have to do this big, long, confusing thing. It's just who I was, what Jesus did, who I am. That's it. That's your bulletproof apologetic. And let me tell you this. If you don't tell them the before, no one will be amazed by the after. If you don't tell them your before, no one will be amazed by the after. The reason why all the people were amazed in this story is because they knew you're the guy who was possessed by demons, who cut himself with stones, who lived naked among the tombs. And now this, what Jesus has done for you, and they were amazed. You tell them who you were before so that they'll be amazed by the after. So, I would ask you the question, who are three people you need to tell your ow, how, now story of Jesus? You know that guy, the seal, as I was working on this message, and uh, I was thinking and praying through it yesterday, I was like, I've never told him. I've never told him what Jesus did for me. It's been 10 years since we were on that boat. And so I started texting, what's your email address? Because I was like, how can I stand up there with those men and tell them about that guy that I used to party with that I've never actually told my story about what Jesus did for me? What's your email address? And just wrote my story and been like, bro, I don't think I ever told you. Here it is. And then at the end, if you died tonight, you believe you'd go to heaven? If so, if you stood before God, what would you tell him? And we're going to start having a dialogue because I love him. I care about him. And I don't know where his eternity stands. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these men. These are the men who were possessed by demons of uh, pornography, anger and rage, hatred, drunkenness, pride, self-righteousness, and you set us free. But you set us free to send us. Lord, you went through a storm to rescue us, and you have left us in this land that has kicked out Jesus to be your messengers to tell who we were before, what Jesus has done for us, that all the people would be amazed, that they too would come to faith. The deliverance of a man would become the deliverance of a land. So Lord, let us not be Bible study men. Let us be proclaimers of Jesus by your power, for your kingdom, for your glory. Amen.